Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstores. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including the one we're talking about today. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter winner. I personally have been a member of Libro.fm for over a year, and I wouldn't change it for the world. These audiobooks are changing my life, and I'm so grateful to be building this library that I can return to over and over, and you can too. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I mean, it's really understandable because I think whenever we try to get into and do the work, you know, whether it's that or sexual abuse or whatever the topic is, I mean, I feel that still, you know, I talk about this all the time and I'm always like, oh, I hope I don't say something and, you know, wrong. but you have to just do it. I mean, also because... You know, in order to do the work, you have to go there and and get messy sometimes. You're absolutely right. This will not be easy. But remember that adults often do fail kids at first. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 606. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm joined by Sonia K. Salter. Sonia's debut middle grade novel, In Verse, is When You Know What I Know. Tori, our young protagonist, tells us her story, beginning with why she does not want anything to do with Uncle Andy. But it's those around Tori whose job it is to believe her, and that does not come easily at first. Sonia's book is as much about being a survivor as it is about believing the victim. It is about sexual assault, but it's also about the ripples traveling outward from trauma. It is a story I read, was challenged by, and returned to several times. And it's a story I think belongs in your awareness and on your bookshelves as well. Please welcome my guest, Sonia K. Salter, author of When You Know What I Know. I'm Sonia Salter, 
and she, her, hers are my pronouns. And I hail from Louisville, Colorado. I am a debut author of a middle grade novel in verse called When You Know What I Know. And I also write all the way from picture books up through YA. Uh, and I'm also a mentor with the Society of Young Inklings, which is an organization that works with youth to get their voices on the page and give them publishing opportunities and opportunities to work with uh, adult mentor authors as well. Well, welcome, Sonia. And also, I have not yet heard of Society of Young Inklings. I love it, and I'm writing it down. That sounds wonderful that you're able to work with children on their writing as a writer yourself. Yeah, I love it so much. It gives me so, it gives me back so much as a writer too. I mean, it keeps me in the creative process. You know, I, you've probably heard that before when you teach something that gives a lot back to you in terms of the subject itself, but it's just also oh, yeah. so inspiring, like all of what they have in them, just to be able to work with them is an honor. I think that when... I've been at a number of different schools, as listeners might know, but when my students, certain students, have found out that I write, it becomes a connection that that just feels like, oh, you write. Tell me about how you write, and can you read my thing, and can we go back and forth? Like, they are ready to be in the most awesome critique group ever. <laughs> and and to that's, hear yeah. yeah, to hear some that's of the stories that they're what writing. I find too. Yeah, yeah right. I, I love it. It's and wonderful. To be able to say directly to them as I'm sure you do that that you have a story to tell. And you I can't tell you what that story is, but you shouldn't shy away from what you think that story is. Right, exactly. And so, and often, you know, some of them are writing already. Some of them need more encouragement and some of them are already writing. But to have that um, sort of mirroring back, I guess, in a way, as well as the teaching, I think it's just really important for them in order to encourage their voices. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, here we are with your debut and this myth, kind of, let me back up. Can I tell you about how I engaged with When You Know What I Know from the moment that I met this book? Is that okay? Would that be too... Yes. Okay. No, please do. Okay. So um, I judge books by their cover. Uh, <laughs> I am no different than the students that I teach as a librarian. And your book has an exceptionally beautiful cover that reminds me of one of my favorite illustrators, Julia Quo. And... um. And when I leafed through it and saw that it was a novel in verse, my ears perked up as well, because I think that this is a new format of storytelling, not new, but it is a newly popularized format in story. I don't know if I'm even saying that right, but I'm grateful that many authors are trying the 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 format of writing in verse, the way that poetry can can say things in a way that that narrative or prose might not be able to. And um, and then I read your summary on the back and almost immediately started to cry, uh, feeling like I was seeing a mirror book, seeing a book that that I wish I had as a child and that I knew would be challenging for me to read and one that, uh, as I have now read it, crossed my heart a full three times leading into our time to talk together. I, um, I'm so grateful, Sonia, for your story and for you 
um, bringing this story into the world, and more importantly for Tori and for Tori's truth that you that you bear witness to in this story. So before I go any further, because I've got lots of, I've got plenty of nice things to say <laughs> and plenty of questions. I'd love for you, if you don't mind, to tell us a little bit about Tori's story, if you don't mind. Yes. Yeah, so when you know what I know is about Tori, who's 10 years old at the start of the books. Uh, it's about her difficult journey after she's sexually abused by her uncle. Um, it's also the story of how it affects so many areas of her life particularly her relationships. Um, it doesn't detail the actual abuse, but it very much immerses the reader in intense emotions. Um, um, but the promise at the end is that there is the road to healing. I felt immediately from this book that it is a powerful tool for examining one way that it can look for a child to be affected by trauma. And I say it that way because children are affected by trauma in myriad ways. And our children in our nation are being affected by trauma in myriad ways right now. Not just from um, the trauma of you know, schools closing and having those friend connections and, and school routines being uprooted and being at home and whatever home might look like right now, whether that is a safe place or for some a dangerous place, but also what's going on for our black and brown children in the nation right now and what it, what it looks like to process trauma and for others to see that trauma and to seek to understand and to listen. I felt like, like this story, um, where, where Tori is is a survivor of sexual abuse is is powerful in communicating that trauma as well. Yes, it's interesting because it's sort of a paradox in a way, right, that you try to write a very specific story, but often what is being communicated is, is broader. And, you know, I hope and intended it for it to apply in a lot of different ways. I mean, that, you know, on the side of empathy... I wanted people to see that sometimes people's responses are very different from what you might conceptually have thought someone's response would be ready. Right. That's like a big thing for me. Um, and at the same time, specifically, you know, helping to break the taboo around, around sexual abuse and being able to speak out about it. Um, and then from the perspective of a survivor, it's also a similar thing where, each person has a different experience, right? Yeah. Um, but then also wanting to get very specific and show someone's someone's specific journey, which I think can be helpful in grasping that. Yeah, I so. agree. Sonia, I come back to that phrase all the time that I'm positive you've heard before, which is the universal is in the specific. Yes, By honing exactly. in on this one child and her experience we find we can connect in so many other different ways. I know that in your author's note, you say that uh, the poem "Believe Me" was 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 really your first step into Tori telling you telling you about what happened to her. And I hope you don't mind me. Tori Tori was a real person to me, and so mm -hmm. I hope you don't mind me talking about her in that way. She is to me too. So. Good. Okay. <laughs> I'm just funny myself. So. Like, I realize that I'm talking about yes, someone no. who exists on a page, but she doesn't to me. Um, 
do you have a copy of the book in front of you? Would you mind reading that poem to us, please? I do. Yes. Thank you. Flip to it here. Believe me. She didn't believe me. She, my mom, mommy, mama. She said, oh, no. Uncle Andy didn't believe me. No, no, he wouldn't do that. Didn't believe me. Honey, you must have misunderstood. You know how he plays around, how goofy he is, just like you. And it was like she put a pillow over my brain and I couldn't, couldn't breathe, couldn't think anymore. Was it, was it possible? Did I, did I misunderstand? And then a whooshing wave of fire and ice cold roared up my legs and out my ears and blew off the top of my head. Believe me, please believe me. But she didn't. This was the first, was this the first poem you wrote for this book? Yes, it was. And that was Go ahead. like it, it was like her voice, what came in my head. I was out in the woods and mm. it was, it really fl- like flowed, uh, you know, I have done obviously some editing on it, but it's largely the way it came through. Did you um, know when this voice came to you and Tori's voice came to you when, when you wrote this on paper, did you know that it would be a novel? Had you been thinking about trying to write something like this but maybe weren't sure of the way in or maybe maybe it started with this poem so how for me the way everything starts this is very intuitive and I mean it's it's gathering up all kinds of pieces of myself and my big questions and you know things that are percolating in there but um, it always has the feeling of at the beginning of sort of bursting forth and this is the idea and um, I'll see Sometimes I don't see the the whole thing, you know, but I'll see parts of it, certainly. And um, I already knew there was a healing trajectory pretty fast. Um, and um, but yeah. And so then a lot of the skeleton and all that comes later for me. I. Um, there were a good number of poems in this book that I, I had to go back and find and and dog ear. And I say that because the the first time I read your book, I just read it cover to cover in a sitting and then an audiobook came out, and I love listening to audiobooks. And your audiobook reader is so wonderful in this in this adaptation. I don't know that you've had a chance to hear, and I think probably it might be weird to hear someone reading your story. I don't know, but um, I'm excited. I haven't heard it. I'm super excited about that. It, no, I, I'm, I think that's uh, great. <laughs> there were moments when, I mean, I get that actresses act, and that's good, but there were moments when I was crying because I felt like she was crying and I was like oh my gosh this is I'm now trying to flip through my um print copy of the book to find uh some things that I can share but I just um it was beautiful the 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 entire book is beautiful and um I think one of the things we engage with right away in this story that that told me that this was something where we as readers should really listen was that from the outset, as your poem that you just read shares, people don't fully believe Sonia, or maybe rather they want to believe something else. And what they want to believe clashes with, not I said Sonia, I said your name instead of Tori, um, but what they want to believe clashes with what Tori is telling them. And I'm thinking of Tori's mom and I'm thinking of her grandmother um, yeah. and I'm grateful that not only is that part of Tori's story 
but you also give her her friend that believes her immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, what did it look like for you to to determine the cast for this story, to build out Tori's family? Yeah. So some came a little bit later. Dad was a little bit later in terms of his thread coming in a little stronger. Um, he's someone who has not been very actively in her life. He lives in a different state um, up until one point in the book. But the mom and the grandma were there pretty pretty much at the beginning. And the um, her best friend, Rhea, was there and her sister. Um, and I think I had a sense. I mean, I think that sense was in me subconsciously when I was writing it at first, but that adults, you know, often do fail kids at first, um, sometimes continuingly, but not always. I mean, and like, I think kids kind of know that from all kinds of situations, big or little, um, and that that's something to grapple with, I think, for um, the humanity of adults and their mistakes is something to to grapple with. And I think that that's part of what's going on, too, I think, in my psyche in writing this. Um, so I think the fact that the adults are, are uh, well, I guess that's not universally true. Her, her teacher is very supportive um, as well. So I think it was important to have a variety, too, because it shows the variety of responses as well. But definitely the fact that adults often do make mistakes and fail kids was important for me to include. And I think importantly that the reality of that, so it's very, I think what was important to me was really showing the complexity and the reality. And it's really hard then, right? But, (laughs) but life when, when people go through difficulties is like that. I feel like, I feel like sometimes, you know, our idea of what something would be like, you know, doesn't match how it feels in reality. Um, if we really experience it, it feels harder than that. Um, and it's, it's got its own nuances and my hope is that the hope for healing at the end, though, is more real and feels more true to a child in an actual difficult situation because of that. So, so you know, if they their situation doesn't maybe match what they thought, but rather than feeling alone and like, well, this is a worse situation, this is a more difficult situation than anyone's ever experienced, you know, it's certainly unique to them, but the hope and the healing and the wholeness, all of that is this bigger, more complex thing. So if they can start to understand that, hopefully that will provide a more hopeful hope, a more hopeful hope um, for for children in difficult circumstances. children's book podcast is sponsored by listeners like you learn how you can support the show and access exclusive podcast episodes a book club and more by visiting patreon.com slash matthew c winner that's patreon.com slash matthew c winner i um Sonia, I was a child in one of those difficult circumstances. Um, I was a victim of a member of my church. And as a now 39-year-old man, um, I could say that I, I didn't... I had internalized a lot of trauma. Um, 
and it was really in therapy a couple years ago that um, I was able to work through any of this. And much of what Tori goes through, not just with her therapist in the book, but also with with how she processes and, and struggles um, was something that I realized that I was going through as an adult. And you, you mentioned, I can't, I won't be able to find it and that's okay. You mentioned at, um, at some point in Tori's, um, poems that, um, that the way, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, that the way that this looks, looks different for people and that, um, that being able to confront those that that hurt us in our lives or find room for forgiveness is mm. something that doesn't need to come immediately and i'm not just talking about um tori being able to forgive or understand in any way her uncle andy but also those in her life that you have this beautiful moment where i'm jumping around in the book here i apologize for that but where um tori has written a letter to read to her mom in front of her therapist that I think links back beautifully with your opening poem that you just read Mm -hmm. that is wonderful and, um, and powerful. And I think communicates how, as you just said, adults need to find their way too. that adults don't have the answers but yes, maybe yeah. com- maybe to make this more complicated as a, I don't know, then call it 35 year old man. I still struggled with the fact that why did my parents make a mistake or what did I do that didn't communicate enough to let them know that something happened? Can I read to you a poem? Yes. You so beautifully read uh, a a believe me to us and i want to read not shortly after that a poem called the test which goes what if i hadn't gone down to the basement he said not to follow him down there he said that what if i'd stopped wrestling around last year back when mom said aren't you getting too old for that what if i hadn't tickled him on the tummy that other time what if i'd gone over to ria's that day what if i'd laughed what if i hadn't laughed at first What if he didn't really mean it like that? What if he thought that's what I wanted? What if I told him to knock it off? What if these what-ifs are right? What if I'm wrong? What if I'm just paranoid? What if it's... What if it's me? What if I... What if I made a... What if I made a mistake? What if... 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 I'm going to stop there kind of midway through your poem because I'm realizing that that also is, is a point on the audiobook where I just, um, where I allowed myself to really feel yeah. Tori and her voice. And I allowed myself to feel my trauma, my truth, uh, and the, the truth that there are other children, especially re-listening to your audiobook uh, post-quarantine preparing for this interview and thinking about, as I mentioned earlier, children that are now in homes that potentially are dangerous for them and they can't get out of them right now. 
Um, there's a lot here, and I want to commend you for your bravery of putting all of this down on the page. I don't know where your story ends and Tori's begins, but I do know as a survivor of this kind of trauma that that there must be an awful lot of you on this page mm-hmm. um, be- because these are not things that can be imagined. Yes. I mean, I think that you absolutely hit the nail on the head that one of the main things that I tell people is an aspect that is directly from me is the self-doubt. So that is definitely something that comes from my own experience and that, you know, I of course had to go through a also therapy and healing journey for as well. Um, So yeah, her, you know, story isn't autobiographically my story, but I have experienced my own traumas. And um, so there is definitely that those aspects that I'm conveying that, you know, are an own story kind of situation, even though it's not a direct own story. So. So when you, when you heard Tori's voice, um, when, how, or, or why did you choose to tell this story from a voice of a 10 year old girl, knowing that that, that will surely mean eight, nine, ten years old will be the most the most appropriate audience for this for this book at first to engage. You know, it's interesting because I can't consciously tell you why. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, I love well, it. Because, you I know, just... it felt like that was her age. Um, yeah. And I do write because then people assume that, you know, I only write middle grade, but I actually don't only write middle grade. So it wouldn't have had to have been necessarily middle grade um and and that age in particular but um it is true and I don't know how much I was aware of this you know that that there is kind of a I don't know that okay I don't want to go so far as to put a number because I don't know the actual number on this but I know that right around then is a very a very prominent time for sexual abuse to occur so I don't know if you know that could have been in my subconscious mixing in with other things um maybe I don't know I'm not sure, but that's, that's how she came through. So Here she, it is. she just came that way. <laughs> I think that what ends up resulting then is this testament to how children are not too young to be reading a book with content challenging like this in order to help them understand that, that children this age are victims to sexual abuse and to many other trauma um, incidences, I um, I think too about how how Tori had this gift from her uncle, this hamster that was so treasured to her, and that becomes a challenging thing to not want an object that reminds you of your trauma. Um, but also what it means to have an object that's that's comforting to you. And I really appreciated that that thread that you wove throughout her story and also the way that Rhea is able to step into to that space to offer comfort in in that way through a gift I thought was beautiful. Yeah, that was a difficult 
thread to write in a lot of ways, but I felt like it was, well, he knowing I was writing it for children, um, but because it does end up being a somewhat sad thread too, I'll give that away. Um, but it, it also provided a sort of symbolic, some symbolism there too. I really loved that Rhea could step in um, and how that all worked out, but I also felt like there was some, um, you know, something symbolic going on. I actually feel like I want to find the, if I can find it, where did it go? There's a phrase in there that I use that I'm thinking of, which is, there we go. Oops, <laughs> not quite yet. All right. <laughs> I love it. Just read us the entire thing. Go ahead, Zonia, from the beginning. <laughs> okay, here it is. Um, Okay, well, I guess I'm giving it away here, but I'll just read this Please, part anyway. Go. So when she's holding this hand, or I guess she's looking at it in that case, because Ray is holding it. Um, she says, And I look, I really look, at the tiny still body, at the small helpless creature. I look because I understand that someone broke her, even though she never did anything wrong. I look because I know I can't change what's happened. I look because all I can do now is caress her damp fur with my tears. So she's coming, I mean, it's kind of symbolic for her too, right? That she's coming to this acceptance of her own innocence and also accepting that it happened, you know, which unfortunately we have to do in order to move forward. It also speaks to the brokenness. I mean, mom has a point. You give mom a line wherever, like mid book or something, where she catches a glimpse of like a leaky pipe. And she says something like, everything's falling apart. But then you give a moment of allyship with Tori because the first thing mom thinks to do is to call Uncle Andy because he fixes things and no sooner escapes from her mouth when she says, "I there's no reason to call. I can learn to fix this myself and show you. Which I thought, again, symbolically, was so beautiful that that those, that the hurt can happen, but also that it's not too late to help someone, to comfort someone. There's a lot that we could talk about with brokenness that, um, that I'm still processing, and I know that I will continue processing throughout my life. I'm grateful that therapy has taught me that we don't we don't just process and move on that these things are part of us, but the way that we uh, understand and the way that we sort of turn the diamond to understand things from different, from different viewpoints is, is what therapy is all about. But I really, I really love that, that, that moment of a gasp that you give readers in that scene. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's the nice things, nice thing about people being complex too, right? I mean, I'm speaking about adults, adults making mistakes, but sometimes they do. They are able to change and develop and still, still support too. So um, people are complex and that can be good too. People are complex and that can be good too. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I like know, that. Sometimes, sometimes it feels like people complex and that's bad, <laughs> but I think it's not, you know, it's, 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 um, it's good. It's good that we can be complex because we can change and we can, um, yeah. 
be more whole and we can show other sides of ourselves. I want to talk shop with you before we go, because I, it strikes me again that one of the reasons to me that I felt this story was so effective was because it was told in verse. And I want to ask first, um, why or how that decision came to be? If maybe you find that that is how your voice expresses itself, or maybe more it was that's how Tori's voice was expressing itself. I wonder from you what, what that was for you. Yeah, so it very much relates to the fact that I had a picture book semester. I was in an MFA program at the time, and I had a semester on picture books. And it was towards the end of that semester that I wrote this. And I think it had really freed me up in language. I'd written prose up until then. Um, and, you know, I think her voice did want to express that way. I don't, I still don't always write in, um, now, now that I've discovered verse, I don't always write in verse, although I've pulled more of it into my prose here and there in Mm. moments when it feels important. Um, but yeah, so I think it was kind of like that right moment where I, I was available and, you know, has in more of a playing with language and being more open to that kind of thing. And then her voice came came in. Um, I do think that it was important for me to tell this way, though, because the freedom that it allowed me in expressing her psyche, I guess you could say, but, you know, really the way her emotions are moving through her and the way that thoughts, you know, are coming to her Mm -hmm. in a realistic way, given that she's in this traumatic state, you know, traumatized state, um, you know, pretty acute, acutely. Um, I, I just feel like that freedom allowed me to write that actually, you know, very much from her voice, but also in a very realistic way. I feel like it would have been really hard for that to come out realistically, at least for me as a writer, um, if I were writing that in a pretty strict prose kind of way. That wouldn't have felt real to how that would feel to me. So I think that yeah. by writing in verse and by breaking breaking lines of text, it allows us to more intuit phrasing and processing. And for this matter, it, that, that's particularly important. Yes. And so I'm, I'm really grateful, actually, to the form, if that makes yeah. sense. I guess as writers, <laughs> we do that sometimes. I feel grateful to the form for, for what it could give me and allow me to express. So my other question on, on writing from your perspective was to write a novel in verse um, you've written a, a book that I don't know how many poems are in the book itself. You probably could speak to that. But I know like in listening to it, it's about an hour and a half to listen to and to it being read aloud. Um, I wonder how many poems got cut from from your original manuscript and how many when working with an editor um, you found you had to add. What did what did that Uh, sort of give and take of the manuscript look like? Yeah, I think I'm trying to, so I had it at one point I had a version that had more of Rhea's voice in it as her own, you know, more of an alternating kind of thing. Mm. That wasn't how it started, but then for a while I had that. And then I went back to this um, where it's Tori's voice only as the first person. Um, and so the only thing that was really cut, I believe I could, there might be an exception of a poem in there somewhere, but was what that, because then I, I knew tons about her backstory at that point, but then, (laughs) um, you know, I didn't have those in there. Um, and so, but I think it's a lot of it is because that's the kind of writer I am. So I'm a very, um, I write the bones 
and then I add, and then I'm like, oh, I have to add more to this thread, and I have to add more to this thread. So, like I said, a lot of the dad parts, um, he wasn't even, he comes to visit, and he that part was not in the original um, before the editing process with my editor. Um, because, and I knew we needed to add more of him, but it took that process to go to go through that. And then there were some others added as well. Um, and so it was kind of a lot about the bones are there and then strengthening, strengthening threads, adding threads, um, which is how I work in general. So, yeah, well, it sounds like it, it, it was right on point for for the way that you work to continue from manuscript uh, being sold into that editing process. That's that's great to hear that. I um, yeah. would love to read you to share with everyone one last poem, if that's OK, before we wrap. Um, yes. And that's the poem. I don't know when you wrote this, but it, I'm grateful that it is the last one. The last word is what it's called. Uh, because the way that this epilogue echoes out and the way that it resonates is, I found to be really profound. And it goes like this. It's too late now not to know what I know. And what I think, what I know, is that sometimes you'll wish you'd never heard the words that put together, make that horrible, terrible poem about what happened. But you'll also know that even though the poem tells the truth, it still didn't have the last word. You'll wake up one morning and you'll say yes to the day again. And even if the sweetest little rodent in the world sometimes reminds you of a darkness you can't not see, even then you will blink your eyes clear. You will wake and say yes again, if not that minute, if not that day, then the next, and then you will have the last word. Sonia Solter, thank you so much for joining me here and for having this conversation and for for the space that you saved for children in this book, this beautiful, beautiful book. I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much for having me. Before we go, I want to give you the opportunity to speak directly to those readers. And I'll say it this way. I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Yes. It's somewhat an echo of what we were talking about before, about when they're in difficult times. So I want them to know that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel, even if it doesn't seem like that's possible even if it's taking a long time for things to get better. And if an adult, because like we talked about, adults often make mistakes, that they confide in, confide in, doesn't support them the way they deserve to be supported, then I want them to keep trying and to keep telling. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the free music archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and don't reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Become a patron, and you can directly impact and help to sustain the podcast. Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed.
We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.